Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to session 31 of the Selling the Couch podcast. Today's podcast is all about building a passionate cash pay private practice. And my guests are Kelly Higdon and Miranda Palmer from zinnime.com. So this is the first podcast episode where we actually have two people on the podcast. So this is a lot of fun. If you haven't heard of Kelly and Miranda, they have a ton of great information on their website. They also host a business bootcamp for therapists in private practice that has been very helpful to a lot of clinicians that I've talked to. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to share a couple of things. One, if you haven't had a chance to sign up for the Selling the Couch newsletter, you can do that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash tax. On the newsletter, I go a lot deeper into some of the things that are working for me on the blog with regard to social media, marketing, and just some of the things that I've learned along the way in building the blog up. And we're averaging over 2,000 visitors now to the blog, which is crazy for a blog that just started in March. The second thing I wanted to mention was, if you noticed on last week's podcast episode, uh, you may have noticed that the sound quality on my portion of the interview on my part was not up to the standard that I normally have it. And I wanted to just apologize to you. When I typically do podcast episodes, I'll record a few of them during the day. And it seems like a couple of the ones that I recorded, including today's, and I think possibly one to two more after that one, for some reason, it switched from my normal podcasting mic to the mic on the computer. So if you happen to randomly hear paper rustling as uh, the guest is talking, please bear with me. Uh, something switched and I finally figured out that it had switched. So I'm hoping that it's fixed now. So as I mentioned, today's podcast is all about building this passionate cash pay private practice. And Kelly, Miranda, and I talk about several aspects. The first is just the mental aspect of believing that we're worth a certain amount of money. I feel like this is something that I know I struggle with and that many clinicians I've talked to struggle with, saying that you know we're worth $120 or $130 an hour. And we talk about how to overcome some of those mental hurdles. We talk about some other things, but the other big thing that we talk about is just some very practical tips on building a business plan and the importance of really building that business plan and how that can help you on your small business journey. I know for me, a lot of times if I didn't have a business plan, I would be all over the place. And I think especially in this day and age where there are so many opportunities and so many things going on, especially in the world of marketing and social media, it's very easy, I think, for us as small business owners to kind of focus on the thing that that seems shiny and nice at the time. But then we end up then focusing on that one thing and then moving on to the next thing without going really deep into that. So we talk a lot about business planning and how you can do that for your private practice. So here's my conversation with Kelly Higdon and Miranda Palmer from zinnime.com. Hey, Kelly and Miranda, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you for having us. Hey, Melvin. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for our conversation talking all about private pay. So the first question that I had was, I feel like when even before we start talking about the practical aspects of creating a private pay practice, there's always the mental aspects, right? And so how do you, like, what things have you guys found helpful in, in helping like a clinician? Like, so I guess, let me take a step back. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we feel like we get this idea, like, how am I going to charge a hundred dollars or how am I going to charge 120 and how am I going to tell potential clients that? So how do you actually overcome some of those mental hurdles 
of telling clients that you're worth an X amount of money. There's always the issue that you can go into about like how valuable am I as a clinician and how valuable is the work or what have you. But sometimes I like to just set that aside and look at real numbers and ask therapists to look at how much money they've really invested in their education thus far. Like really sit down and do the the math and get a sense of how much are their student loans costing them every every month? How long is it going to take for them to pay it off? How much have they invested in working for free? And all these other things. So they can start to see that they really have invested an incredible amount of money. I've met therapists who've invested well over you know, $160,000 on their education. Um, And it's really important to sit down and look and go, wait, how am I going to get things on track so that I am not living in debt, so that I'm not stressing out, all of that good stuff. And then the second thing is to look at and do the numbers on how much of that 120 or 150 or whatever the number is, how much of that is actually going in your pocket? Because a lot of therapists see that as that's the amount of money I'm getting. But after you take out expenses and taxes and you start to account for things like vacation and sick time and having a buffer and, you know, all of those other things, that number that you're taking home is actually quite different. And so once they get realistic about those two things, I think that starts the process of being more realistic and then you can move on to the other mindset parts. Yeah. And as as far as like the mindset stuff, like in our boot camp, we have tools specific about this because, you know, I don't know about you, Melvin, but every time my business improves, I still revisit blocks and, and have to go through this process of, of holding on to my value. It's part of entrepreneurship. And so some of that, you know, of putting in your toolkit, the truth about your who you are and the change that you are impacting with a client in session. And, you know, there's lots of other evidence to your value than there is to why someone can't pay whatever that fee is. You know, there's different kinds of practices. And in a cash pay practice, it is for a certain kind of client. And so it's just understanding, you know, who you serve and who you're meant to serve and structuring your business around that. And holding on to your value is, <laughs> it's going to be a lifelong journey. One of the things we have boot campers do, for example, is email a survey and asking people, what do you see my strengths as being? And it's so beautiful for them to have this survey to go back to and say, look, I have this and this and this. And here's the evidence. It's like physical proof from their community as to what makes them amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great way to like remind themselves of how competent they really are. So when yeah. you send the survey, you're sending it to colleagues, former supervisors, folks like that. And family, family. and friends and anyone and everyone. <laughs> yeah, everyone that I guess knows you at, at yeah. a deeper level. We've had clients even send them out, just put it on their on their Facebook wall or in places and get responses from people who didn't know them really well. Mm. And I think what's interesting about that is sometimes people who don't know you well still see you 
right? There's something, there's things that we project out in the world that are constants that don't require someone to get to know us really deeply. And I think those are sometimes really powerful things to realize Mm -hmm. that even someone who doesn't know me sees this aspect of me that maybe I have overlooked or that I think is hidden, but it's really shining through. Yeah. Or that I often don't see in myself. I like that idea of even taking a step back from private practice, right? Like thinking about all the time and money that we've invested in education. Like I hadn't even thought of it. That's really, really neat. What are some of the key ingredients that you think that are needed to start actually building a private pay practice? Oh, well, that's like <laughs> drinking out of a, a fire hydrant. With- <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd like to start with the uh, fire hydrant kind of question. <laughs> I think the first thing you need is a clear vision and a clear why of why you're doing a private pay practice. Mm. And for most therapists, it's not because, well, I want to make a lot of money and um, I want to have to work very little. Um, it's really because they have worked in places where they've been like worked raw, (laughs) where they've been worked to the bone and where they're seeing clients back to back. And they see that if they're seeing clients 30 or 40 hours a week, that there isn't time for crisis situations. There isn't time to return phone calls that they don't have time to process what's happening in session and really dig deeper. Um, They don't have time to go to supervision ongoing, even after licensure, that, that there really, there are some clinical limitations when you are seeing a large caseload and that a cash pay private practice allows you to have a smaller caseload and really do a different level of work. And I think so many therapists think they should do that same level of work. I've worked with therapists who are seeing 50 clients a week and they are feeling really, really guilty for not doing their best clinical work, but it's just unrealistic. You can't do that. Right. You know, like it's even like if not humanly possible. No, no. Even even 30 clients a week in private practice, 30 clients plus your notes, plus marketing, plus insurance billing if you're doing that, plus your accounting, plus returning phone calls. Mm-hmm. Like you just start to add it up and Therapists really are at that level. Most of them are working 55 to 60 hours a week. Hmm. And if we had a client who's working 60 hours a week, we would say, whoa, that seems like a lot, but we won't do the math. We'll just do it. Yeah. And I think it's sort of another great rationale for having, being able to charge higher because it's not just about that time with the client in session, right? It's all about all of these extra things that go into making sure that our clients are functioning well and that we're functioning well. Yeah. And I think once you have a vision, like Miranda's saying, you can structure your business around that. And then that's where your financial planning comes out of that place. You know, if you're a person that's going to want to take off three months out of the year, you're going to set up a very different kind of business than if you want to stay home with your kids in the morning before they go to preschool in the afternoon. You know, it's all those details about what you want for your life. And that, we say, create a happy life. Mm -hmm. You know, you want your business to fit into your life, not try to squeeze your life 
into having a business. I mean, that's a beautiful phrase. And it's just a beautiful way of looking at it, right? Especially, I think, for our profession, where our ability to optimally function is going to directly impact the work that we do. Yeah. Yeah. I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but we've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of therapists. And I can't tell you how many therapists are out there who are dealing with autoimmune disorders yeah. and, you know, physiological things that I truly believe there's a direct correlation to overdoing it over long periods of time, having huge levels of stress. And that because they ignore that, their body starts to create symptomology and, you know, they can manage it. You can go on lots of different things and lots of different regimens, but ultimately a good doctor will say the very first thing, which is reduce your stress level, get (laughs) things in balance. Like that is the fastest way to, to do the work that you want to do. So it's just such an important, powerful thing to know your, to know your boundaries, to know your limits, to really understand how you function and how you can do good work. You know, when you read those messages of therapists doing terrible things, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in my mind, I really like to believe that these were really good people and really good clinicians at some point that they weren't just crazies um, and that, you know, something got off kilter and out of balance at some point Hmm. and then everything fell apart from there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're bringing up a very good point, which is that I think as clinicians, we can tell our clients, you know, self-care is so important and taking care of your health. And that has such a function on how you treat yourself, your family, your work. But uh, we often don't turn that on ourselves and examine ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's been some research out there with therapists, and what they've found is that therapists tend not to identify when they're burnt out. They tend not to actually, like, see that in themselves, and that it's not necessarily the younger therapists who aren't seeing it. It's often the established therapists who have gotten into a certain rhythm, and it's just a slow decline, and they just don't even realize it. That's so um, interesting. What are some things that you all have found like are kind of those telltale signs of possible burnout that, you know, just based on the interviews you've done? I think when there's a lot of resentment, hmm. feeling frustrated with clients, lack of processing the counter-transference, and feeling powerless, a lot of times people will slide their fees and then <laughs> they're frustrated with the work and they almost become victimized in their practice a little bit. It's that feeling of like, this is the way I have to do things. I have no choice. So whenever I hear locked in kind of into one position. Yeah. I see that a lot in in people that are burnt out. Hmm. I think also like there's a certain level of like dissociation Mm -hmm. um, when people are burnt out where they get checked out and numb And they tend to check out of a lot of the aspects of their business, of the money and the marketing and like the real thing of what's happening. They just get checked out of all of it. Mm. And, And I think what's, again, sad is that it really impacts the clinical work. And then as they have worse outcomes with clients, you know, or limited good outcomes, then it just kind of fuels that burnout Mm -hmm. and it fuels the frustration and it fuels the disconnect. Yeah. It's almost a snowball effect in many ways. Mm -hmm. 
So I have some very practical questions for you all, just shifting a little bit. How do you actually figure out what to charge like in the area that you're working in, like the geographic area, if you want to go the private pay route? Yeah, I don't know if you know our stories. My private practice was built in a very affluent area. And Miranda's was built in the completely opposite area. (laughs) Top five worst cities to live in in the country. We go back to that same thing of looking at your life. How many hours per week can you work at direct client contact and be the same amazing person at the beginning of the week to the end of the week or beginning of the session to the last session and look at how many hours really that you can see people and then look at financially, what are some of your goals here? What do you need to make so that you can put aside money for retirement, sick time, taxes, especially in California? We've got a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I would know anything about that. And looking at what does it really cost to run a business. And then from there, you can factor out what does your fee need to be in order for you to meet those financial goals. And what happens sometimes is people will say, oh my gosh, I need to make you know $200,000 and my fee would be like 300 bucks. I think I'm going to price myself out of the market. At that point, usually it is about you're going to eventually going to need to do multiple streams of income if you have a really aggressive, I don't know, I don't even like saying that. I don't think it's aggressive financial goal. It's your goal, whatever. But um, there's a limit to how much one-on-one we can do. So start out with how many hours and what you want to gross. And then from there, you can divide based on how many weeks out of the year you want to work. And you figure out what your fee will be. And Hmm. you know what's interesting is people say, well, Shouldn't you look around at the, what other people are charging? Well, A, sure. you don't know if they have any kind of business plan. You don't know if they are in debt. <laughs> you don't know if they're actually paying their bills or you don't, you don't know anything. You don't know if they're actually charging what they no. say they're charging. Yeah, uh, right. so many There's therapists. a lot of missing information. Yeah. yeah. One of the questions when we interviewed therapists would be, you know, what's your fee? And they'd say, and they'd say, okay, what? what percentage of your clients are paying that fee? And they go, oh, nobody. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, everybody. You know, so it was very mindset oriented. But like if my if I'm living in a place in the country where to buy a house outright that works for my needs is $120,000, right? And my monthly expenses are, you know, I don't know, two grand, let's say. My fee is naturally going to end up different than someone who's living in a place where like a a starter house is $500,000. Right. (laughs) You know, this is the amount of stuff and where these are the taxes. So I think a lot of these issues get resolved by just being honest about what it costs to live and to live the kind of life that you want. There are therapists out there who want to make a million dollars or what have you, and they live in, you know, some rural area in Ohio. That's totally fine. There's no judgment about that. And that will flush itself out and they'll figure out they need different income streams. But the most of the therapists that, that we work with, you know, just looking at the numbers and being honest about what it takes to live where you live, it really will get you to a good place and get things on track. Is there like a, a website or anything that you reference, I guess, to figure out what the yeah. approximate like cost of living is in certain areas? Yes, there is. I, I do tell people to go ahead and reference some of your government sites. Like you can look that up on your city stats or in California, you have like county stats, city stats and then state. So you can look up based upon all of us have different like 
names for our areas, little province or your county. You can get like the mean and median. But I think it's really looking at your bills and (laughs) sitting down if you have to. I had to do this, Melvin. I had to get help with money because I would love to just stick my head in the sand. <laughs> well, I mean, so, because I think it's so emotional for all of us, right? It like, is. It just, to me, honestly, like my mind goes blank. Yes, yeah. I took calculus. But when, <laughs> but when I took economics and personal finance in college, I just sat there like, I don't even, it was like German mm-hmm. to me. So if you need to, Get an accountant or a financial advisor, someone to sit down with you and look at your plan for your life. You need to start looking at these things because the business decisions you make now are changing the trajectory of where you're headed. And if you invest a little bit now with an expert in this area, you can have a whole different outcome. And we talk about this. For every 20 clients you see, a $10 change in your fee is a $10,000 shift in your income mm. per year. So these small changes you make have a huge impact. Now multiply that over 10 times, 10 years, that's a $100,000 difference. Yes, yeah, so it's often the small gestures. That's- like, And that's, that's your retirement, yeah. <laughs> you right. know? That's your slush fund for making sure if you get injured or you're ill, you're not going into to work and putting yourself at more risk and putting your clients at risk because you're not at your highest and best. Yeah, I mean, I like the way you both are talking about it. Like, it's not just about starting a private pay practice, but really it's about our life and where we want to be and mm-hmm. what we want to do with our lives. Because I, I think that larger message, I think, often gets lost when... We are right in the throes of trying to start a small business. Yeah. Well, and I think there's so much judgment. There was a, a post the other day and people were talking about um, the idea of, of, you know, how untrusting it is that someone could say the words like, if you want to be a wealthy therapist, mm-hmm. and just like, oh, and the idea of money. And there's so much judgment that we put on it as therapists. And yet we really all want to do great clinical work. And money is not good or bad. It is just a resource, just like our time, just like our energy, just like food. These are all just resources. And we need to learn how to manage these resources. Yeah, I I once heard something like, you know, money is amoral. It's sort of the meaning that Mm -hmm. we attribute to it. Mm -hmm. So someone that is listening to this podcast, let's say that they are on the fence with regard to starting a private pay practice. They either want to go either full private pay or at least do partially. What would be like the first logical step they should take as soon as they finish listening to this podcast? (laughs) Take our free trainings. No, (laughs) I mean, honestly, this is going to sound like super cheesy. But we talk about this issue of how to set fees for like an hour. And we've had so many emails from people saying that really sitting down and doing that practice and running the numbers has been really impactful. So sit down, you know, if if this like podcast was enough, like just do what we're saying, which is go down and really look at your budget and run the numbers and start putting that together and just get clear about what you really need. If you need more and you want some more nitty gritty stuff, you can watch a whole free training on our site, but like do something, take a step and be really honest about what it's going to take for you to do really great clinical work because there are a lot of 
therapists out there who are amazing, but who are doing mediocre work. Hmm. And it's not necessary. And if you can get your business in order, it's going to free you up to do really amazing clinical work. And our community really needs amazing. They need us at our highest and best. Our world is really struggling. There are clients who need us and they need our passion and they need our expertise. And we need to go out there and give it to them. And I would add to that, this is a eyes wide open endeavor. And we all have blind spots. So find someone that's been successful that can mentor you, get a coach, find a community and be like what Miranda's saying, being honest with yourself and find people that will hold you accountable to that as well. Because you can find a lot of people be like, oh, you're doing great. But you want someone that's going to challenge you and say, hey, have you looked at this part? What about this? Have you considered this? The accountability factor, you cannot, you should not, in my opinion, build a practice alone. That is a recipe for burnout. So get support around this as well. And if you sit down and do the numbers and it make no sense, get an expert to help you. All really, really good points. Uh, The last question I wanted to ask, Kelly, I think it was you that mentioned this. You said with private pay practice, it attracts a certain type of client. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Well, sure. I mean, we have different systems in our society. So there are people that need to use their insurance and that's okay. And there are people like, for example, in my practice, every single person has insurance and not a single one wants a super bill (laughs) because they do not want to use their insurance. They don't want a diagnosis. They don't want these things impacting life insurance applications or whatever, or military records, all that kind of stuff. And so there are people out there that value paying cash. I have a friend who is retired out of working for insurance agency. She was the one that would be kind of take the big expenses from a patient and decide whether or not they were going to approve or deny a surgery or a transplant. And she's like, I would never use my insurance when I know about that system. So there are people that do want cash pay and there are people that want to use their insurance and there are people that need case management from, you know, some of the community agencies. There are people that really value going to nonprofits in their community. So there is enough and who you end up working with in cash pay are people that want that kind of service that want to go that route. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes okay. sense. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, I guess my real last question now, uh, <laughs> how do you actually find those type of clients? Like, especially, you know, like I'm thinking like I'm in a big city, right? Like Philly, like how would you find? It's, you know, the thing is, is those clients will find you. Hmm. Um, if you are making it easy for people to find you, They are out there searching right now. They are looking for someone who is um, passionate and articulate and who they really get a sense that they can help them. You talked about the idea before we even got on the call about, you know, how do you talk about your fee? Um, How do you say it without like flinching? (laughs) And it's when somebody, when you've really articulated your value before someone even got on the phone and then you really talk with people about 
their needs. And number one, you referred them directly out if you were not a perfect fit right. from like moment one. And you're only talking to them at this point about how you work and you're checking in going, this is how I work. Is that a good fit? And this is how often we'll meet. Is that a good fit? And here's my fee. How does it work for you financially? Okay, perfect. Then let's go ahead, you know, and get you scheduled. All of those things fall into place, but you have to be able to articulate it so that people can find you. You know, once you understand that people are really searching, then you can make sure that you're in those places so that when someone asks their lawyer or they ask their CPA or they Google or they ask their yoga instructor that, you know, they know you and they know that you're the person that can help with this issue. Hmm. Kelly Miranda, thank you so much for coming on. What are, Our pleasure. Yeah, what are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you guys? Probably the best way is to check out our site, um, zinnime.com. I'm sure you'll post a link since it's so hard to spell. <laughs> but we have um, over 10 hours of free training. We do monthly webinars for free. And we have a great little mini business school boot camp that gives you kind of our top content to kind of help you look at some of the areas of your practice building and, and get shored up and supported and encouraged and yeah, stop by and say hi. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Thank you again. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for doing this for our community. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly and Miranda. Those two are so funny. I mean, we were like cracking jokes during or right after the session, right before. Uh, I feel like this session just had a lot of really practical things. There were a couple of things that stood out to me. One was just the importance of setting a business plan. I feel like I really like that image of like the lighthouse. And I feel like having a business plan is like a lighthouse, right? Like it gives us a guidance for what our business should look like. Otherwise, I feel like what happens is, especially in this day and age where there are so many things that can influence us, what will inevitably happen is without a business plan, you'll focus on one thing because it just sounds neat and there sounds like a great opportunity. And then the next thing will pop up and then we'll jump to that next thing. And then by jumping from one thing to another, we never actually go deep and we never fully go through that process of implementing everything and seeing it succeed with our small business. The other thing that I, I really took away from our conversation was just the importance of thinking about our education and all the time and money and energy that we've put into our education and seeing that as a reason to justify what we are worth and seeing it in that light. I, I just hadn't even thought of that before. Kelly and Miranda mentioned several resources, and I'll be sure to link to those here in the show notes, which you can find on sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the numbers three one. And Kelly and Miranda's website is again at zinimi.com. And I'll uh, be sure to spell that out on the show notes page as well. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you haven't had a chance, I would be really grateful if you could subscribe to the podcast. You can just do that through iTunes or Stitcher. And then if you could just leave me an honest review and rating, that really just helps the podcast get out to more of our colleagues in the mental health field. You know, podcasting, it's very interesting because a lot of times I'm interviewing people, but there's a lot of times where 
I'm alone in recording things and editing things, and I'm always not sure of how I'm doing. So your reviews and ratings, they're just such a huge source of encouragement for me. And if you could do that for me, uh, I would really appreciate it. Again, the show notes for today's episode are at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number three one. Thank you again and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.